This is episode number 61 with the co-founder of the website Students of the Game, Matthew DeMarte. In this episode, Matt actually breaks down a study that he did uh, with Blast Motion. Um, he went to a local college and tested out all the uh, data and all the numbers that Blast Motion sensors give you and kind of breaks down what each individual one means. Um, Matt is someone who is very, very involved and, and very bright in the analytics department of the game. And, and that's something that, that his website, Students of the Game, really tries to help bridge between uh, just the common fan or player or parent out there and kind of the baseball community. Um, he explains everything in a very, very uh, simplistic manner. And it's really something that I think is, is going to help a lot of people out because the game of baseball is changing at a rapid pace, and um, you, it can be very um, hard to kind of keep up at times with all the numbers and, and data and things like that. And I think Matt in this episode does a great job of, of making it very, very easy to understand. So without further ado, here is Matt DeMarte. What's up, everyone? We have on... Matt DeMarty, who is the owner of Students of the Game, which is a website to help players, parents, and fans understand the new analytics and player development that is going on in baseball. Matt, appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on today. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate you having me on. So I think, did I see somewhere that you've actually were using a Rapsodo, hitting Rapsodo? Uh, Yeah, actually, uh, yesterday, my summer coach, uh, me and him went to hit, and they the facility that he works out had a Rapsodo unit, so he brought it to the field, and I got to take some swings on it. I'd never been able to use Rapsodo before, so that was a really cool experience. How, uh, yeah, so I know they cost like $4,000, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've used Blast Motion. You've done like actually a study on Blast Motion, which we'll talk about um, a little yeah. bit pretty shortly here, but I mean, is, is Rapsodo worth it? Ah, yes, I think it's very worth it. So the difference between Rapsodo and Hittrax is Hittrax is really cool, obviously, because it gives you exit, velo, launch angle, and projected distance. And it's really cool because you can use whatever stadium you want. But what I really liked about Rapsodo was that it gave you batted ball spin. And I think that's a missing component in when you look at exit velocity and launch angle and you try and project distance. Like batted ball spin has some sort of effect. I think Dr. Alan Nathan did a study on it. Um, but besides that, uh, not many people really know the effects of batted ball spin. So Rapsodo giving that is kind of a missing piece to the puzzle, I think. Uh, why is that helpful? Well, I mean, I guess you could, you could look at it um, in terms of spin and say you have a hitter who may be crushing the, who may be crushing the ball, but he top spins the ball a lot. Rapsodo can, can give you that because, I mean, you can see top spin in the game, but when you're hitting in a cage – Two players can crush balls to the top of the cage. One player top spins it. One player uh, backspins it. And Rapsodo is able to give you that feedback. So you know that maybe you need to change your attack angle a little bit or whatever you may be just to produce the ideal batted ball spin. Do you think that a big part of uh, using some of these devices is just knowing how to translate it to help players? Because yes, I mean, if that, you have like a, a a top, like you were just talking about the spin of the baseball, um, you know, you know that, right? But I mean, like being able to actually like 
you know, ha- develop a way to like help a player um, use that better. That's I feel like that can be pretty tough, and I feel like some people um, don't. A lot of people probably don't know how to do that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just knowing the information and knowing what different metrics say is one thing, but I think the best coaches which you see from guys like Driveline and guys like Chad Longworth, who they preach exit velocity and launch angle, but they actually have programs where they show the results where guys are improving based off that. That's huge because it's one thing to just say like, okay, swing as hard as you can and try and hit the ball as hard as you can. But if you're a college guy, generally your benefits from that probably aren't going to be very significant compared to say a little kid trying to swing as hard as he can. So you need coaches who not only understand the metrics, but how to improve them so that you can better perform on field. Yeah, no, that, that definitely, that definitely makes sense. Um, can you give a, a little bit of the listeners your background in baseball? Yeah, definitely. So um, I just finished my undergraduate degree at Babson college where I was on the team. Um, I had a ton of injuries and things really didn't go my way there. So I didn't really play very much, but I'm more passionate about when I was hurt, I kind of started buying into analytics and new player development stuff. So I'm working my, I'm working towards, I want to work in a front office, but more of my background is just doing personal research. I'm very into analytics and player development. Um, my brother, who is my co-founder of Students of the Game is a professional baseball player in the Frontier League. We've both had a host of injuries and we believe since we've been hurt so often and we've had to overcome adversity and had to kind of swallow our pride and look at the mirrors and say what we've done didn't work and had to embrace different things has allowed us to learn about all the new things going on in baseball. So we feel like that education enables us to be able to help kids and players. You did a a study on blast motion, um, the bat sensor. Um, Mm -hmm. can you give us kind of what you found? Yes. So I looked into the blast motion sensor. I purchased one last summer because I wanted a piece of technology to aid me in my training and I didn't really know how to utilize it. So I figured why not look into it and see which metrics on the blast the best correlate to on-field performance. Um, I used my, the Babson college baseball team as my sample size and ultimately what, ultimately what I found, just according to the sample size I used in the study, I used a response variable of weighted on base average to like determine a player's output on the field and just basically had them take about 50 swings of me front tossing to them and then used all this data to see how well or how not well the different metrics correlated to on-field success. And the two metrics that I found that the better hitters were performed the best at was their power output and their blast factor. Generally the best players perform significantly better than players who didn't produce as much as them on field in those two key metrics. So you would, you would say those are the two most important metrics on um, when looking at blast. I don't know if I would definitively say that they're the two most important because there's a ton of context. My sample size was college hitters. So they're a little more advanced than maybe a 10-year-old kid. But I think what that says is if you increase power and your blast factor, you definitely should see an increase in your performance. But that doesn't mean that other metrics aren't 
necessarily important. For for instance, if you're someone like most of these guys, I mean, these are college hitters, so they generally had attack angles in the ideal range. I know Blast says the ideal range is two to fourteen degrees. Um, I've heard some people, I've seen some people on Twitter say that you want to be even higher than that. And every guy in the team was pretty much their average attack angle was between seven and 15 degrees. So that's something that I guess that says you don't really need to worry about it. But if you're a little kid and you constantly have negative attack angles, it doesn't really matter how much your power output and blast factor is going to increase if you can't swing properly on a slight uphill plane. And then also doesn't it matter if what your, I guess, doesn't it matter what your exit velocity is too when it comes to attack angle? Yeah, definitely. So that's one of the things that um, if any of you guys have the chance to read the study when I go over my conclusions, one of the things that definitely could have improved this was I wasn't able, I wish I was able to compare everything on the blast motion to exit velocities and launch angles. So not... So being able to only base it just based off on-field production is great, but it's not as great as I could have said by looking at, okay, if you have an attack angle of 10 degrees, then generally you're going to have a little bit better of an exit velocity or launch angle or pick a different metric and substitute it in or whatever it may be. So that's kind of a challenging question that I hope since I have the rap soda this summer that I can better answer. Are you using um, blast motion uh, during games when you're playing? Because you were telling me you play for in a college summer league right now. Yes, I am going to. I just had my first games the other day. Unfortunately, my phone wasn't cooperating with me with the blast app, so it wasn't able to work it. But I do plan and have some of my teammates use a blast motion sensor in game. So that's another missing piece, obviously, with my study is being unable to get game swings, obviously because wearable technology isn't legal in the NCAA, but being able to see using game swings for the blast motion sensor I think would be great and great data to collect. When you give lessons, do you have your kids uh, put the blast motion sensors on? Uh, Generally, yes. For some kids, I don't, only because I've noticed with some kids, they'll take a swing and they'll want to know what they have. And if it's not up to what they expect it to be, then they get really down on themselves and it negatively affects the rest of their lesson. So with kids like that, I won't use the blast motion sensor just because I don't want them to think that they're not a good hitter if their metrics aren't up to what they think they should be. But generally for most lessons I give, I do use the blast motion sensor. And I generally, I don't like to look at it after every swing. I generally like to look at it to just see if they're increasing in the metrics that I want to see them increasing in. So when I give lessons and use the, use the sensor, I'd say the most important thing that um, kids kind of look at or the biggest benefit is the attack angle, because at least for me anyway, when I, when I show them, Hey, it's a negative angle. And this means that negative means you're swinging down at the ball. They can really relate to that versus, you know, a positive one too. Um, mm-hmm. I also like just the bat speed because with some of the kids, you know, they, they come in and they're used to taking swings at uh, 70, 75, 80% of their power. And so it becomes uh, competitive as well versus, you know, not having anything on there. You never really know um, what uh, or what they're what they could be capable of each time. Um, 
Would you say that if the blast motion sensor had exit velocity, it could it pretty much do everything that the Rapsodo could do besides a spin rate? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, because the Rapsodo, the way that I look at it is if you're looking at data, the blast motion sensor kind of gives you half the story of it gives you the swing up until contact and the Rapsodo gives you everything after that. So if I know Blast has the Blast Vision app, um, but yeah, if that if you could just put the sensor on and swing and it be able to also tell you exit velocity and launch angle and everything, then you'd have a complete swing sensor that you could that you would have I mean you would have tons of data, all the feedback you're looking for and just an absolutely unbelievable product to help develop hitters. And also with Blast, um, it's it's affordable. It's not like like with Rapsodo, you know, it's, that's four thousand dollars. You know, Blast Motion, uh, very very affordable, um, which is why I like it so much. We actually are the only team, high school baseball team in the state of Ohio. Um, every single player in our program um, has a Blast Motion sensor for themselves, and. Uh, we made we went all the way to the final four this year. Uh, furthest that the program has been since uh, Andrew Benatendi played played here. So it, I mean, it really, really does help a lot. Um, what are your goals for your website in the future? Do you want to be like a FanGraphs type website, or what are you thinking? Um, I don't. I wouldn't say we want to necessarily be a FanGraphs type website because that would take a lot of expanding and. My brother Jonathan and I take a lot of pride in the fact that we're the two people kind of putting content out for students of the game. Our main goal really is to just try and continue to help as many players and coaches as possible. There's nothing that makes us happier than if like one of the things we do on Instagram is we do a mobility Monday just to try and get people to understand that it's more than lifting and you have to move. And there's nothing that we like better than when someone messages us saying, I tried something for mobility Monday and it worked great or, and also just to continue to educate, um, just to get people to understand about analytics. It's kind of hard to sometimes scale it back to help people who may not understand it at all. But if people reach out and say, Hey, I read your article and now I'm on fan graphs and, um, um, I love all this new analytics stuff. Like that's our goal just to continue to educate people and hope that players now can understand that the resources that it is available to kind of the new generation of baseball ha- give, helps them get better and understand the game so much better than even the information that was available five years ago. So, What is the most important statistic? Oof, that's a tough question. Uh, there's so many. One thing, uh, people always ask me this, and I always say it all depends on context. If I had to pick a few, if I was looking at a hitter and I wanted to get the best measure of a hitter's production, I would probably look at weighted on base average or weighted runs created. And for pitchers, I personally like to look at strikeout percentage. Wait, or... what, are, what is weighted runs created? How, can you explain that a little bit further? Yeah, uh, it's kind of it's kind of tough. There's a lot that goes into it. So basically, um, weighted runs created is a metric that hopes to that explains how much better or worse compared to league average that a player is, and it's park adjusted. So league average for weighted runs created is 100, and 10 a 101 weighted runs created is one percent better, and a 99 weighted runs created is one percent worse. 
it's kind of derived from a long formula that actually starts from weighted on base average, which gets transferred to something else, which eventually gets transferred to weighted runs created. But it's basically why I really like it is you're able to compare to league average and it's park adjusted, which I think is huge when you're evaluating major league baseball players because there's a huge difference between hitting at Yankee Stadium and hitting at AT, AT&T Park. So I think when you're evaluating a hitter or a pitcher, you have to be able to adjust for the park that they play in. So that's really why I like weighted runs created. I also like it because you're able to compare across errors better because you're just comparing to how much better a player was to their league average at that time. So say a player with 1,000 OPS now may have a weighted runs created of 160, which that may not be right. I'm just throwing numbers out there. And a player from, say, maybe the 1968 season, which is one of the greatest pitching seasons of all time, had an 880 OPS, but he also had a weighted runs created of 160, then you can more accurately compare to two players' seasons because you're comparing them to their league average rather than saying this player's OPS was 120 points better, so he must have had the better season. When in reality, in 1968, it was much harder to hit then for whatever, for the mound being raised or whatever it may be. It just gives you a better idea to compare players. So... It was harder to hit in, in 1968 than in 2018? No, 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 no. That, that's, sorry. That's not what I meant to say. It, I don't believe it was harder to hit. I obviously believe that pitchers have gotten better. Pitchers throw harder. Pitchers' stuff is better. But relative to how hitters hit compa- to pitchers relative to now, hitters performed. It was harder for hitters to hit then than it is now when you look at those numbers. I believe... Like the league ERA then was somewhere in the low threes compared to it's somewhere in the fours now. So overall, hitters just pitchers just performed better then. What about defense? Does it take that into part? Weighted runs created doesn't take defense into account. You would have to look at like a war, like war for defense to be taken into account for a position player. So uh, would, would war make more sense then to be more like relevant or important because it has defense? I mean, yes if, if, you got, if like Adam Dunn has like great offensive norm- numbers, but I mean, he sucks in left field. Like, you know what I mean? No. Yeah. I, I definitely know what you mean. I love war and I think war is war is great in that it's the only metric that really like, put pinpoints a value for a player's overall value. The drawbacks to it are while defensive metrics are continuing to improve defensive metrics that are used from the 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. I don't know how much I trust them. I don't even defensive metrics. Now there's still a good, like people still can have a good gripe over them. I mean, the people who even create them talk about a lot that they're still not perfect and hopefully with StatCast being a thing now. Um, I know the StatCast team does a great job with outs above average and continuing to get better with how defense plays a role. But I think the problem with war then is that defense may, like the defense, the actual value pinpointed for defense isn't 100% accurate, which is why I think some people kind of don't like it as much. I think, I mean, war is great. If someone, if there's a player whose war is two or three wins higher than another player, then it's pretty safe to say that that player is better than the other player. But if there's like a 0.5 difference in war, then that's, 
that's not enough to definitively say that someone is a more valuable player to me. And then what about pitchers? You were you're getting ready to say what your favorite pitching uh, statistic was. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I like strike strikeout percentage or K rate is my favorite metric to look at for a pitcher just because pitching, there's a lot, there's a lot that they don't control. Pitchers don't control their own defense. They don't control their own luck, but they do control how many guys they strike out. So if you automatically know that Chris Sale is going to strike out 30, 32% of batters in a given season, then you don't really have to worry about that and you can focus on the other 70% of batters he's going to face and how he's going to get them out. So I like to see strikeouts. I also like to see FIP because generally how a pitcher performs in FIP is a good indicator of their future performance and a good indicator of their past performance as well. So So no love for the contact pitchers? No, I wouldn't say that. I mean... Like ERA? ERA isn't... No, I, I like ERA, but I think a big thing with pitching stats is I think it's way easier to evaluate a hitter, in my opinion, because I think, like I said, metrics like weighted runs created and war. I think war for hitters is definitely better for war for pitchers, especially for me, because I'm a big I like to look at fan graphs and fan graphs war is derived straight from FIP, which means you're taking out all non-strikeouts, home runs, and walks uh, out of the equation to pinpoint a pitcher's value. So I do like a pitcher's ERA, but at the same time, it's not the greatest for all pitchers. Like You could have someone who has a 3-0 ERA, and maybe they got lucky or whatever it may be. Or at the beginning of the season, like right now, there's definitely some guys you can look at their ERAs and go, wow, he's having a great year, but his FIP is a run and a half higher. He's got a really deflated BABIP. His K rate's below league average. And you can look at it and say, okay, he's doing really well at preventing runs right now, but for the rest of the season, am I confident that he's going to keep up this pace? And probably not's the answer. ERA, like, ERA is good. I still think it's useful, but it's not my favorite way to evaluate a pitcher. Going back to the hitters, um, is Joey Votto the second best hitter uh, besides Mike Trout, behind Mike Trout? In my opinion, yes. Uh, I don't know if if everyone agrees with that, but in my opinion, I do think that Joey Votto is the second best hitter in baseball. Who's third? Uh, I think at the beginning of the season, I made a list, and I think I said Jose Altuve. Um, I might change that to JD Martinez right now. I think I think it cha- it changes a lot. Um, but yeah, it's it's very hard to rank them all. I believe right now the leaderboards for weighted runs created is Mookie Betts, Mike Trout, and JD Martinez for one, two, and three. Yeah, and the thing is, is like it's a, it's a, that's kind of a small sample size in a sense for this year because I mean it's only June first right now. I also exactly. did read um on your article. Um, studentsofthegame.com a blast motion article that you wrote that Jose Altuve has the highest on plane percentage ever recorded from blast motion yes when I um, when I was preparing to do my study I wanted to educate myself better on everything with the sensor and I was fortunate enough that a representative from blast was willing to speak to me and he said that Jose Altuve had the highest on plane percentage that they had recorded Going back to the statistics and, you know, obviously you've done a ton of research, you know, talking about stuff all the way, the way back from 1930s and 40s. Um, Where did you learn all this stuff from? 
Uh, honestly, a, a, lot, a lot of it is on my own and a lot of it is just knowing who the smart people, the, I shouldn't say the smart people, a lot of it is knowing people who are, who are sabermetricians and just following them on Twitter. Um, I mean, you can, you can look at stuff that Bill James has put out. You can look at Fangraphs. Fangraphs puts out a ton of articles and you can look at Fangraphs as a glossary that gives definitions and how to utilize different metrics the best. And you can look at that. But a lot of it is more just my own research. I spent a ton of time on Fangraphs and a ton of time on Baseball Savant, not even and just trying to see what I can learn and be able to figure things out. I also think at a certain point, if you want to learn more about baseball analytics, you have to get pretty good with Excel and learn how to code so that you can continue to learn different things. But I basically got my start by just following the right people on Twitter. The first time I ever thought about baseball analytics and whether this stuff was actually cool or not was actually uh, Ryan Spader, who I know you had on your show. Um, I saw a tweet from his and I actually responded to him in a pretty disparaging way because I didn't agree with the statistic that he put out. And he tweeted back at me with something that pretty much blew my mind and that, hey, maybe this analytics stuff is a better way of looking at the game. So just following the right people and reading and trying to learn as much as possible and really having an open mind to it that maybe that maybe sabermetrics is a potentially better lens to look at the game of baseball through. So you want to be a GM someday? That is my ultimate goal, yes. Yes. You're playing summer baseball right now. Uh, where where are you going to college to play at in the fall? Um, so I just finished my, I just finished undergraduate at Babson College in Massachusetts, and I'm going to Manhattanville, which is in Purchase, New York, in the fall. You'll be a fifth year. I'll be a fifth year. Yes. Do you still have the desire to continue to play um, if you don't get drafted, like your brother's playing independent baseball right now? Um, I definitely have the desire to play baseball for as long as I possibly can, but I train and practice like I'm going to play baseball for as long as I possibly can, but I'm also realistic in that while I have improved over the last few years, I'm realistic that playing professionally, especially definitely getting drafted won't happen. And I've thought about playing independent ball, but I also think I have to be realistic for myself and that my future in baseball is not really on a field and hopefully it's in a front office or helping kids out or whatever it may be. So I, so your brother, Jonathan, um, <laughs> how many years has he played pro ball for now? This is his second year in the frontier league with the normal corn belters. Both years with normal. Yep. You heard any, uh, horror stories from about independent baseball from him? No, honestly, I think they they run a pretty good ship there. Um, how do you get signed? How do you get signed? Yeah. Um, I mean, he had uh, he went to the University of Richmond. Um, so he had a and he has a very extensive baseball network of people he knows. So last year, um, we were hoping that he was going to get drafted. Um, unfortunately that didn't happen. So he had a ton of people who were kind of in his corner who knew a bunch of independent ball teams helping him out. And I think, I believe it was a friend, uh, from his school, his dad 
um, had some connections to the Frontier League, and that ultimately was what opened up the door for him. Damn, man, I need some more connections in my inner circle. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I live like 20 minutes from Florence Freedom, and I've been trying to get Pelfrey to sign me for like five years now. <laughs> I actually had him on my podcast, and he joked. We joked around a little bit about it. I mean, it, it's a business, so I I, yeah. I get it. And then, um, and then Billy Horn, who's uh, your brother's uh, manager, we had him on. He's a a great guy. If you could give anything, uh, any advice to a younger player out there um, using analytics or technology, um, what would you recommend them doing? Uh, just, just keep learning, have an open mind and don't be scared to try new things out. Don't be scared to push the envelope. The worst thing that can happen is maybe it doesn't work out or you don't learn something new or you learn something you, you already knew. So just continue to try and learn as much as possible. And the way I look at it is you can, is you can't really fail when you do that. You can only get better and learn new things and push yourself forward as a player, as a thinker, as a coach, as an analyst, whatever it may be, you can only get better if you have an open mind and want to learn as much as you possibly can. You also gave great advice about uh, following some people on Twitter. And I think for hitters, hitting Twitter with all the coaches out there, there is so much knowledge that you can learn as a coach and as a player. Um, obviously, you know, you follow some some guys, some sabermetric guys on there as well. Um Matt, I really appreciate you uh, you coming on today. Uh, good luck. I know you have actually have a game tonight. Um, go hit some go hit some nukes and um, again, man, I appreciate the time. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on.